If you have your Bibles, I would ask that you take them and open them to 1 Kings, the 6th chapter. 1 Kings, the 6th chapter. You're going to recognize right now that 1 Kings is not the Gospel of John. You'll realize that. And so I want to share with you a little bit about where we're going over the next several weeks. I don't want to leave you in the dark. And so I want to share just a little bit of what's going on. As many of you know, we as a church, as a staff, we are seeking to lead us this year in chronologically reading the Bible together. As you go out of our worship center on the table before you go out the front doors on the right-hand side, you can pick up a reading plan. It is a 52-week reading plan that will guide you. Now, many of you should have received a letter from me this week, and I know all of you were faithful, diligent in reading that letter in entirety. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, well, all right, well, good. That's what I'm hoping, because in that letter, I kind of explained to you where we are going with the chronological Bible reading plan and exactly everything that is going to take place. If you did not receive a letter, it's not because I did not love you. I will promise you that. It's because we didn't have your address, and that's the reason you didn't get a letter. But if you would like one of those letters to learn more about the chronological Bible reading plan, you can pick up a letter as well. They are in the envelopes on that table also that will kind of guide you. Now, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not going to go back through all of this. You'll hear more about it in the weeks that lie ahead. One of the reasons why the staff and I have really felt led to challenge us as a church to read the Bible chronologically is because we want to build spiritual family and physical family within the church body. We want to encourage us to be unified together around the Word of God because God's Word, greatest work, will always be done in His church when we come together around the Word of God. He uses His Word to guide us and direct us. We cannot be directed by the Holy Spirit apart from the Word of God. So we're wanting to build spiritual family, and we want you to be a part of that. The other thing that we are trying to encourage is we want to be a church that is a resource to families who have children at home. We want to encourage mothers and fathers to take the Word of God, open it with their children, and read the Word of God together. We believe as a church it is the responsibility of parents to raise their children in the admonition of the Lord. That is not a command that's been given to the church. That is a command that has been given to mothers and fathers. And so what we want to do is we want to be a resource that will help encourage that, to come alongside. Now listen to me. If you're a mother and a father who has children at home, I want you to hear me say this. You can do it. You can do it. How many of you believe God's Word? All right, let me see. Let me see the hands. Believe okay. The Bible says this: all things are possible with Christ. Spiritually, that is true. You believe that? You can lead your family in reading God's word. Then, do you see what I'm saying? Because all things are possible with Christ. We want to encourage that. Now, something else you're going to notice each week in our small group Bible study is when parents go bring their children to preschool or our children's area, you're going to receive one of these cards. It is a take-home card, and on that card will be 
what they learned that day in small group Bible study. It will have the passage of Scripture. It will have the concept or the truth we are wanting children to learn or understand. And it will also have that memory verse that we are all going to memorize together as God's people. So you ask Miss Marissa if you have children in the preschool or Sarah if you have children in the children's department and they'll be glad to give you one of these. Adults are not for you, all right? They're for the children, all right? But it's a great way of teaching our children the Word of God. Also, you will notice something. If you go to small group Bible study, you're going to notice that every week there is going to be a lesson that pertains to what you've read with your family the week before. Every small group Bible study will study the same lesson each Sunday. Each Sunday they'll study the same lesson. We did that for a very important reason. We want parents to discuss with their children the Word of God. We want husbands and wives to discuss together the Word of God. I am convinced there is a power in the Word of God that has the ability to change people's hearts and lives. The Word of God is powerful and living and is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it has the ability to change people's lives. And so I encourage you, please take that reading plan, sit down with your children. Listen, they will come up with some questions. That's all right. Send them, them, send them to Miss Sarah or to Brother Travis. They'll answer all the questions they have, all right? I promise you, okay? But I do appreciate the staff so much. Actually, Miss Sarah and Brother Travis are the ones who have put these cards together. And so I know they're going to be glad when we are done with 52 weeks of uh, chronological Bible reading plan because they've written the children and preschool lessons and I've written the adult lessons and we're walking together making sure that they work very closely with one another. All right, so that brings us to this morning and the reason why we are not in the Gospel of John. If you've been with us throughout the last probably almost uh, six months, we have been walking together through the Gospel of John on Sunday morning, verse by verse. I don't believe there's any gospel that helps us to better understand who Jesus Christ is than the Gospel of John. Well, in that study, we have been seeking to get to know Jesus Christ better, believe and live. That is Jesus Christ's desire for all of his followers, that we would know who he is, and as a result of knowing who he is, that we would believe and that we would experience life to the fullest. That is God's desire for your heart. Well, today we are going to shift, and over the next two weeks, we are going to be doing something a little bit different in our Sunday morning worship services. For the next two Sundays, we are going to be talking about leadership in God's church. And the reason we are doing that, there's a very specific reason. Over the months of the summer, the deacons and I and the staff, we have been praying together, seeking God's leadership and direction of where he would have us to go in the future as a church. As we have prayed about that, God has made it clear to us that we think it is time for us as a church body to come together and begin to seek to fill some leadership positions within this body of Christ, specifically in the area of deacons. 
That is the reason why for the next two Sundays we're going to be looking very closely at the Word of God and what God's Word has to say concerning leadership in His church. Now let me just say this really quickly as I'm finding my place in 1 Kings. The criteria for God's leadership in His church has not changed. In 2,000 years since the inception of the first church, God's criteria for leadership in the early church has always been the same. God has not moved the goalposts. But what I have noticed in churches is churches have moved the goalposts to make it or adapt it to the culture in which they live in. But I would tell you this morning, the truths, principles, and the commands of God's Word transcend all time and all cultures. God's Word never ever changes. How we apply it to our lives may look different today than how they applied it in the first century, but the meaning of God's Word does not change regardless of when the time we live in. We need to understand that. And so for the criteria of leadership for God's church, it is still the same today as it is or as it was in the first century. So I want you to hear just a couple of verses that are found in 1 Kings, the 6th chapter. 1 Kings, the 6th chapter. I'm sure many of you know that 1 Kings and 2 Kings records for us the history of the nation of Israel and its kings. What is taking place here in chapter 6, Solomon, the son of David, is the king of Israel. God has placed in Solomon's heart a desire to build for him a temple, a place where God's people can come together and worship the sovereign God of the universe. It is in the midst of that process, in the building of the temple, that God speaks these words to King Solomon. Now, I want you to listen to him very carefully because I think there's something very important that God's Word wants to teach us this morning. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building, that is the temple. If you walk in my statues and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. Now don't miss verse 13. And I will dwell among the children of of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel in these verses we learn a very important principle about leadership did you hear what God said to Solomon this is the principle that we learn so goes the leader so goes the nation did you see that here? Did you hear what God said to Solomon? Solomon, if you choose to walk in my ways, Solomon, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my statutes, if you keep my rules, this is what will happen. I will never ever depart from my people. I will always be with my people Israel. Did you see that here? So goes the leader so goes the nation. 
Now, we realize that, right? As a matter of fact, if you were here during the spiritual awakening, one of the things that we talked about on Wednesday night was the need for spiritual awakening within the nation of America. And what I took away from that message more than anything else was this. As the church goes, so goes the nation. As the church goes, so goes the nation. It is only as God's people experience spiritual awakening in their lives that the nation of America will experience spiritual awakening as a whole. Listen, folks, the problem is not the nation of America. The problem is the American church. That's the problem. When the church is awakened spiritually, it'll overflow out of the doors of the church house, and it will affect our communities and our nation. Our nation will be changed only as you and I are changed. You see, I'm convinced it starts right here. So goes the leader, so goes the nation. Well, let me say this. So goes the leaders of the church so goes the church. I will share with you this morning, this is one of the most challenging messages that I will ever preach to you as a pastor. The reason it is challenging for me is because it confronts me where I'm at as a leader in God's church. The other thing is, I always want to preach God's Word with grace, mercy, and love, with a redemptive nature in mind. So I want to share with you this morning, I want to challenge you, please hear the words that I'm about to speak to you today, that they come out of love, and not judgment, but also come seeking to challenge us to examine where we are in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. For every leader at Crestwood to take a step back and ask ourselves the challenging question, Am I being the leader, not that the church wants me be, to be, not that the world wants me to be, but am I being the leader that God's Word is challenging me to be? Because I am convinced of this. God will only bless His church if we follow His plan. When we choose not to follow His plan, I can tell you it is always disastrous. So for the next couple of weeks, we are going to be looking at 
deacons because what we want to do is we want to start the process as a body of Christ seeking to find those men, if they're here, that fulfill those qualifications that we see in God's Word of what it truly means to be a deacon. Now, I'll share with you, as we approach this, I approach it with trepidation. I approach it with a sense of caution in my heart. And the reason I approach it with a sense of caution in my heart, because the church doesn't belong to you, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to Jesus Christ. And only Jesus Christ has the right to determine who should be a leader in His church and who shouldn't be a leader in His church. And what we need to do more than anything else is get on our knees before the Lord, cry out, plead with Him, please God, show us if there are men here that need to fill that role here at Christ with Baptist Church. Would you agree with me on that this morning? And so I encourage us as we approach this to, I mean, just to be cautious and to really seek the Lord. Ever how long it is for the Lord to show us what it is that He desires for us to do, that is the desire of my heart. So you turn your Bibles now over to chapter 6 of the book of Acts. We are going to be there in that passage of Scripture in just a few moments. We're going to be looking at what Luke had to say about the early church in the book of Acts. And we're just going to see what it is that God... God wants to speak to us through this particular chapter. Now, when you go to the book or when you go to the New Testament, you begin to realize there are two roles of leadership for God's church. The first role is that of pastor. Sometimes it is referred to as elder or bishop or shepherd. It's one role, three functions is what we see in Scripture. The other role is that of deacon. Very clearly, one of the roles that we see in Scripture is the role of deacon in the church. Now, the role of deacon is a role of service. It's a role of servanthood. Actually, what deacons should be doing is they should be setting the example for the people of the church of what it looks like to truly serve Jesus Christ. That's what it should be. Every deacon should be a walking talking example of a servant. That is the clear role we see for deacons in the Bible. They were chosen to be servants. Now, when we go to the Word of God and we look at the role of deacon, we really look to two passages of Scripture to provide guidance for us. One is found in 1 Timothy, the third chapter. In that passage, we have the qualifications of a deacon. Don't worry, we're going to get there next week and we're going to deal with them. But here in chapter 6 of the book of Acts, we actually have the establishment of the role of deacon in the church. The church has grown rapidly. It has grown from 120 people to over 3,000. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. That is rapid growth. And any time you have that kind of growth in a church, you know what takes place? Problems. Challenges come your way. And we see that through the book of Acts, don't we? We see challenges from without as the early uh, apostles are doing what? They are being persecuted by the religious leaders. Then we even see deception from within. In chapter 5, what takes place? Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira deceive the church and lie to the Holy Spirit. 
can I just say this? It didn't turn out well. If you've ever read their stories in the Bible, to me, I guess I shouldn't say it's funny, but it, it is amusing to me that when one of them comes in and lies to the apostles, says, don't worry about it, you know what? Your wife was drug out before you. You're close on her heels as you go out as well. And God judges them. And then do you see what happens here in chapter 6? There is this problem that arises within the church. Over 3,000 people are now members of this body of believers. And as a result of that, there are challenges that are happening. And one of the first challenges that takes place in this church, there are some that are being left out of the daily distribution of the food that was given to widows. What had taken place is when the Holy Spirit came and Peter preached at Pentecost, large numbers of people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They had come from all over the world to come and to be a part of the Feast of Pentecost. Some of them did not return home. Now, men and their families, men could get a job and provide for their families, but the widows could not provide for themselves. And as a result of that, the church begins a ministry. The problem is, there is one group that is being left out at the expense of the other. I want you to find your place there in chapter 6, verse 1. And listen to what it says here. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, do you see there the church is growing? A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we see what's taking place here, right? Two different groups. There is a Hebrew group of widows and there is a Hellenist group of widows. The Hebrew group of widows are those that are from the area of Palestine. They hold to the customs of the Hebrew people. Everyone who is outside of Palestine that has grown up because of the diaspora that took place when the children of Israel went into Babylon, they are Hellenist. That means their lives have been influenced by the Greek culture and Greek language. So you have these two different groups. The Hebrew group, you have the Hellenist group. One is being taken care of. The other one is not being taken care of, and it is causing a major problem in the church. Now listen to what it says here in verse, uh, verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that, you, that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now let's just pause there. Because I think it's very important for us to understand what it is that the apostles are saying here. They're not saying serving tables is beneath them. That's not what they're saying. What they are saying is they very clearly understand the role that God has given them in the early church. If you read further into Scripture, you begin to realize that the apostles... Well, they were part of the foundation of the early church. And to move away from the study of God's word and prayer would neglect them, would cause them to neglect what God had called them to do. So what do they do? 
They said, well, this is what needs to happen. You need to choose some men from among you to serve the tables, to help take care of the widows. Now listen to what it says here, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, I would encourage you to do something. I would encourage you to take your pen and underline that phrase there where he says, choose from among you seven men. Because I will tell you, that phrase is the key to understanding everything else that the writer Luke says in this passage of Scripture. You know, for years I read this passage of Scripture and I missed that phrase. Luke very clearly says to this body of believers, choose seven men from among you. And he goes on and he says, who are of good repute. That means they have a good reputation. As a matter of fact, it means that their lives were so spiritually pure that even if someone leveled an accusation against them, no one would have ever believed it. He goes on from there and he says, you need to choose men who are full of the Holy Spirit. The word full means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Now listen, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, every one of us receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible refers to that as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at me very carefully. You've received all of the Holy Spirit you will ever receive at the moment in time you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is a person. You cannot divide Him up into pieces. The question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, but how much of the Holy Spirit, I mean, how much do you have of the Holy Spirit? I mean, I'm sorry. Let me go back again one more time. The question is not a matter of how much of the Holy Spirit do you have. The question is how much does the Holy Spirit have of you? That's the real question. These men were to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was clear, it was evident as you watched these men's lives that their lives were being controlled by the Spirit of the living God. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, this is what I would say. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to see the fruit of a spirit in a person's life. As you look at their life, do you see men who are filled with love, joy, peace, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and perseverance? These men that were selected were men who were filled with the Holy Spirit. But the writer Luke goes on and tells us in this passage, not only were they filled with the Holy Spirit, also he says they were full of wisdom. 
The word wisdom here carries the understanding of understanding the deeper mysteries of God. And as a result of understanding the deeper mysteries of God, they are able to take those deeper mysteries of God and apply it to everyday life for guidance. This is the way we would say it. These men's lives, they were built on the Word of God. They had spiritual wisdom. They were spiritually wise. That's what the writer is saying. These men were to be of good repute. They were to have a great reputation in their community, within the church. They were to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And not only were they to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they were to be full of the wisdom of God. And all that the writer says flows out of this one statement, choose from among you seven men. It all flows out of that statement. Do you want to know why they knew these men were filled with the Holy Spirit and of good rapport and full of wisdom? You want to know why? Because they were among them. They were among them. The clear indication of this passage of Scripture is this. These men's lives were connected to the body of believers. I mean, think about it for a moment. How else would the believers know that these men were filled with the Holy Spirit, were full of wisdom, men of great rapport if they hadn't been connected to the body by the very virtue that they chose men full of the Spirit and wisdom indicates that these men's lives were daily being lived among the believers. Do you see that? They didn't have to guess about it. It was evident, and the reason it was evident is because they had examined these men's lives, and they had very clearly seen what was in their hearts and in their lives, and they recognized very clearly they were full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, and they are good reputation. You see, I believe right here at this point, we learn a very important truth about leadership in God's church. Listen to it very carefully. The effectiveness of a man's spiritual leadership within the body is directly linked to and dependent on how connected he is to the body. Let me say it one more time. Listen to it carefully. The effectiveness of a man's spiritual leadership within the body is directly linked to and dependent on how connected he is to the body of Christ. It is only as a man is connected to the body that he can sense how the Holy Spirit is leading and working within the body. Now, the exact opposite of that is true as well. A man who is not connected to the body is not serving in the ministries of the church of the body, is impotent in his leadership. As we begin the process 
of looking for potential deacons, we need to make sure that first and foremost, we choose men who are among us. Men that has clearly given evidence to the fact that they are full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and are of good reputation. And the only way that can happen is by seeing them connected to the body of Christ. All right. Just take a deep breath there for a moment, all right? I know that I've said a lot this morning. In just the few minutes that we've been together, I want you to just take a deep breath. And now I want us to look at how do we apply this in the church that we live in or are among right now. I believe this is the starting point as we begin this process. I think the starting point is this, by clearly asking ourselves the question, which men are connected to this body of believers? How involved is the man in weekly worship services of this body? Are they connected on Wednesday night in ministry? Are they actively involved in serving here? Listen to me carefully. You don't have to convince a man of the need of being a part of the body of Christ if they are filled with the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. They realize what is valuable in their life and they understand there is nothing more valuable in their life than gathering with God's people around God's Word. They understand that. You know why? Because they are a part of us and we have recognized that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and they are a good reputation and they are faithful and committed to God's church. That's it. Do you see what I'm saying? very clear, faithful and committed to God's church. Let me illustrate it like this for a moment if I can, all right? I want you to imagine this scene for me, all right? The early church, all right, they have called the early church together and they have told them, this is what we want you to do. We want you to pick seven men from among you who are filled with the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, of good reputation in our community. They, the church chooses those seven men. And can you imagine this for a moment? Just, just picture this. In an upper room are the 12 apostles. Peter, James, John, and the rest of them, they have all gathered there. And these names are brought to them. Now, these are the men who have seen the commitment of Jesus Christ. They have understood what it is that Jesus Christ did for them at the cross, that he willingly went there, died, hung there, and died. For the salvation of the world. They have forsaken everything else in life. They have forsaken their family and their livelihoods to follow Jesus Christ. They've received this list of seven names that the church has presented to them. And as they're going down through the names, all of a sudden one of the apostles says, Hey, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. What about old Jimbo? Y'all know Jimbo. Man, Jimbo, he's a good guy. He's a pillar in the community. You know what? He's a good family man. Now, I realize that Jimbo doesn't always go to worship with us at the temple courts. And I understand Jimbo, Jimbo doesn't always break bread with us. 
And I know that Jimbo isn't there for most of the prayer meetings during the week. But I will tell you this. I believe that Jimbo would be a great asset to the deacon body here at First Baptist Jerusalem. Do you think that discussion would have ever happened? That discussion happens in a lot of churches. What do you think? Listen, folks. I think it is very important for us to understand the criteria for leadership in God's church hasn't changed. It still remains the same. God has not moved the goalpost when it comes to leadership in His church. What has happened is the church has moved the goalpost. And sometimes churches are just happy to find a warm body somewhere to do something. I hope that we will never, ever, ever be that church. I hope that we will be a people that always holds up the standard of God's Word that we will not move the goalposts, that we will not change the criteria. And when you look at the criteria for leadership, very clearly in this passage of Scripture, it says He chose men from among them. Very clearly. Very quickly, let me finish this last point. Second, these men were chosen to be servants. They were chosen to be servants. Actually, the word here in this passage of Scripture, to serve, is where we get the word, or the Greek word is diakonos. It's where we get the word deacon. Literally, the word deacon means to serve. That's what it means. Now, understand me when I say this. Surely, we as Christians have all been called, have all been called to serve, haven't we? But this was a special role of service in God's church. These men were set aside to be an example to the body of Christ of what it truly looked like to be a servant. I think sometimes what has happened in God's church is we elect deacons, we select them from among us, but then we thrust them into a role that was never intended by God. Listen, folks, deacons are not to be the administrators of the church. That is not their role. They are called to be servants in God's church. They're not to administer the business of the church. It is never there in Scripture. They're not there to represent the body to the staff. That's not there either. It's not scriptural. They were very clearly placed into a role of servanthood as an example. They were to lead through servanthood is what they were to do. That is very clearly seen in this passage of Scripture, as we began the process of looking for deacons here at Crestwood, you know one of the first things we need to look for? Who are those men that are already serving? 
Who are those men that we see the example of being a deacon? As a matter of fact, I would tell you this. When deacons are selected in a local body of a, of a church, it ought to surprise every person in the church. Not in the sense that, well, I don't really think that person is qualified. No, not in that way. You know what it should surprise every believer? You know how it should? This way right here. Oh, wow. I didn't realize he wasn't a deacon already. Oh, my goodness. I thought he was already a deacon. He's exemplifying everything that a deacon does. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's full of wisdom. He has a great reputation. And you know what? He's serving God's people. I can't believe that man is not already a part of the body of deacons here at Crestwood. I'm surprised by that. Do you see what I'm saying? I want you to notice as we close this morning the results of what happens because this church chooses to follow God's plan and not the world's plan. I want you to listen to what it says here. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. They followed God's plan. And you know what happened? God continued to bless the church. We see the gospel advanced, the Great Commission fulfilled, and we see the body of Christ growing in their faith because they chose to follow God's plan for leadership in the church. It's a challenging message, isn't it? It's a challenging message because when I preach a message like that, I realize anytime I point my finger at leaders in this church, I point three fingers back at myself because I'm a leader here. But I will promise you this. If we, as followers of Christ, elect half-hearted men to serve as deacons at Crestwood, I can promise you, God will not continue to bless His church. As a matter of fact, there's an Old Testament story that speaks to the truth of that. It's a story about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel goes to Samuel and says, Samuel, we want to be like the world. We want you to give us a king. And God says to Samuel, Samuel, don't worry about it. They've not rejected you. They have rejected me. Get this. Give them what they asked for. 
And you know what? They got exactly what they asked for. They got Saul. And it was utterly disastrous for the nation of Israel. And I will tell you this. God will say the same thing to us. We choose men not from among us who are not faithful and committed to Jesus Christ and to his church. If we choose men who are not filled with the Holy Spirit of good rapport and full of wisdom, you know what God will do? He'll say, hey, give them what they want. Give them what they want. And I can tell you this, it will be utterly disastrous. Utterly disastrous.